The day has come where your child is into everything. They are playing with the cleaning supplies, pulling everything out of the pantry. Your life feels like you are constantly saying, no, don't touch that, as you try to follow a hurricane of destruction. That's what life can be like when you've got a baby on the move. I'm Robert Lockheimer, founder of Baby Safe Homes, here to talk about ways to keep your kids and house safe and baby-proofing your home. This is Parent Savers, Episode 17. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Casey Wilt, and you can now take Parent Savers with you wherever you go. Our apps are now available in the Amazon, Android market, and the iTunes App Store. So they have great features like the ability to star your favorite episodes, as well as instant access to our most recent episodes and social networking sites. Another way to get great parenting information is also to subscribe to our Parent Savers newsletter, featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes content from our show, special giveaways, discounts, and more. So for more information, visit our website, parentsavers.com. I'm a new parent. My son, Carson, is 20 months old, and I'm joined by three new parents here in the studio. Hi, everyone. I'm Sunny Galt. I am 34 years old, and I am the host and producer of our sister show, Preggy Pals, which is all about pregnancy. I have two children. Both are little boys. Um, one is, actually, one just turned two years old yesterday, so oh my I'm officially in the terrible twos. <laughs> but it started at 18 months, so I feel like I'm, you know, already a pro. And then um, I have a little boy who's three months old. And I'm Danelle Detois, and I'm 32 years old, and I have two little boys, one two and a half and one six years old. I'm Michelle Franklin. I'm 36, and I have a one girl who's nine and a half months old, and we need baby proofing. Yay! <laughs> Kimberly Palmer was recently featured on Parent Savers Episode 9 to discuss how to save money as a new parent. We had a contest, and we want to congratulate Elena Mack and Sarah Jacobson for winning her baby planner. Congratulations to all who entered. For the latest giveaways, check out the contest page on our website. Hi, Parent Savers. This is Kate in San Diego, California, and I just wanted to say I'm really enjoying the new episodes. I especially liked the ones on uh, when to call the doctor if your infant has an infection and the sunscreen. I mean, these are things that we think about every day, even if it's not the, not the first time we're having kids. And, uh, It's just really nice to have that help out there. So keep up the good work. We'll be listening. Today on Parent Savers, we have Robert Lockheimer, founder of Baby Safe Homes, here to talk with us about child-proofing our homes. So let's start from the beginning. Why do you think it's important to baby-proof our homes? Well, obviously, as parents, we all want our homes to be safe for our children, and most accidents uh, occur in the home. So making your home a safe environment for your children to grow up and play in is a very important thing to do as a parent. So um, about 15 years ago, um, when I had my first child and started seeing him crawling and walking around, it became very apparent to me that there are very... um, uh, a lot of safety issues in our home and um, wanted to take care of them. So it came apparent to me that there weren't a lot of great products available in all the retail stores and it was very hard to find things that worked correctly and that were to be installed correctly. So um, 
just started doing a lot of research and ended up getting certified as an advanced um, child-proofing safety consultant. Hmm, there's a certification and, um, for that. There is a certification for that. <laughs> and um, here I am today, 15 years later, um, having baby-proofed thousands and thousands of homes. So what age should we start baby-proofing? The thought of baby-proofing really should begin as soon as or even before you bring your baby home. Really starting to look around your home looking for little things that your baby's going to start putting into their mouths. When they're infants, it's not quite as important because they're not reaching and grasping for things. They don't have the motor skills for that quite yet. But as soon as they start grasping for things, even on their on the changing tables or where they're laying down or where you're playing with them, you want to start looking around for small objects that they can pick up and put in their mouth and they can possibly choke on. So it really starts right right when you bring them home. Well, so, I mean, I can't imagine myself nine months pregnant on the ground trying to figure it out. So maybe when he's just – because when they, they come, I mean, gosh – once you have two or three, then you're chasing everybody around. But with maybe your first one, you know, give yourself a break. And maybe the first month they come home, you and your husband, after you've, you know, healed from birthing and everything else, kind of figure out. Absolutely right. I'm Like like I said, right when you bring your baby home, they're really not mobile at all. And they're not, they don't even have the motor skills to do any grasping right. or grabbing or touching. And, um We really encourage people to really start looking at baby-proofing your home. Um, between six and nine months. And like serious baby Serious baby proofing because that's when most children start to crawl. So as soon as they start to crawl, they already have the motor skills, motor skills to grasp things, pick things up, put things in their mouth, and now they're mobile on top of it. So that's when we typically recommend you really start seriously thinking about doing the serious baby proofing things like the gates and the latches and, and strapping furniture to the wall and things like that because well, that's when they start to How long things. does it last? I mean, when do you get your home back? <laughs> that's a great question, and that's different for every child because some – yeah, you never get your home back. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but the baby-proofing stages do go away. Um, I felt comfortable removing gates um, and things of that nature from my stairs at about two and a half to three years old. Um, and it wasn't so much that they weren't able to go up and down the stairs on their own. It was do you really want them to go up and down the stairs on their own. And realistically, most kids start figuring the baby-proofing – um, products out at about 24 months. The gates tend to last a little bit longer. Most children will learn to climb over gates before they learn to open them. Hmm. And what would you think would be the most important aspects of baby proofing? Should we do the gates and the drawer locks or what are the key ones we should be doing right away? Um, the things right away to really start thinking about, you can do it almost right away when we were talking about bringing the baby home, is start really thinking about putting all of your chemicals and your medicines and things like that up and out of reach of, the, of your babies and toddlers. And um, Because even if you do put cabinet latches and you do gates and you do barriers and locks, um, there's going to be a day when your little one's going to figure those out. And that's mm-hmm. the day that you don't not want to be around and they get into some chemicals or they get into some medications. And uh, that's really one of the most dangerous aspects because of the curiosity level um and children's most children's medicines nowadays are flavored so they Mm -hmm. don't see it as a medicine so if they're able to get into it um and they get into it it actually tastes good so they can drink a lot of it or take and ingest a lot of it and that's actually obviously very um very dangerous Hmm. fatal well and i was just gonna say not all of these gadgets if you will are created equally because i i've noticed uh, especially with the latches for the drawers most are horrible um, most are horrible and some my son you know who's now two years old can figure out and some he can't so i find it very difficult we're in a difficult phase now because it's like well you know we still have the stuff that we need to protect him from that latch no longer works because he's he knows how to press down on that but there's another latch that he still doesn't you know so so what is your advice 
price for that? Do we have to go through, you know, the whole gamut of, you know, we need this, we don't need that, or, you know, um, what's your advice for parents who don't want to break the bank and do this? Well, as you said, um, your oldest is about two years old. So um, that little one's getting to the point where they're going to start figuring things out and opening things up and getting into things. And there aren't a lot of latches at that age on the market that once they start figuring them out that are going to work for very Mm. much longer. You're right, though. There are much better quality latches and there are really poor quality latches. And the challenge for most parents, quite frankly, is that um, there are are very few good quality latches available to the retail public. And a typical home that I baby proof will need, um, will require more than one style of latch to actually do the job properly. And it's really all dependent on how the cabinetry is made in the home. So the, one of the biggest mistakes a lot of parents make is they take one latch and they, they, they think it works well or they think it's cool and they try to use it throughout their entire home. And what you end up doing is and it's the same kind of thing with the gates is you end up taking a, a round peg and you try to stick it in a square hole and hope it's going to work. And a lot of times that's not going to work. So I actually carry five different latches with me when I go into someone's home. Mm-hmm. And the cabinetry and how that cabinet is built or how that drawer is built really dictates the latch that I have to use. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I'll put one latch in a cabinet and a mom will say, oh, I really like those. Those are really great. But you didn't put it in the drawer. And I'll say, this latch won't work in the drawer, and the drawer latch won't work in the cabinet. I mean, they'll work, but they don't work properly. Okay. So they're not as effective as so the So we're problem. basically parent-proofing the house, too. <laughs> <laughs> it, takes, <laughs> it takes most parents about a week to get used to the latches, right. and then they almost become second nature. And, and then they have guests in the house that go, I can't oh, open your silverware That happens door. all the time. No, guests trying to leave my house are like, you know, I can't open this door. There's a you know thing on the doorknob. I said, it's parent-proof, too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and one of the things to remember um, when you're doing cabinet latching is a lot of the parents that I work with, they say, well, I want to leave a cabinet open in the kitchen so they have a place to play. It's just Tupperware where it's nothing dangerous, or I want them to play with the pots and the pans. Um, I work with most of the pediatricians throughout San Diego. I'm one of the only companies, or I am the only company that's referred by both Scripps and Radius Children's Hospital. And when I talk to pediatricians and we sit down and we discuss issues that are going on, most will tell you that they don't recommend Hmm. to leave a cabinet open in the kitchen for your children to play with because what you're teaching them is that the kitchen is a place to play. Mm -hmm. So you're encouraging them to come into an environment that's not safe for them to be in. And then people say, well, pots and pans aren't they're not dangerous, so why can't they play with them? Well, they're not until they're on your stovetop. And then they think it's their toy, and then it's full of boiling water, or you're frying an egg, or you're making bacon, and they grab the handle, and they pour something hot on top of them, and now they're burned. So it's not so much that the object that they're going to be playing with at that time is dangerous. It's it's what how they see that object, and then they they make it their toy, and then they want to play with it. Can I ask a question about uh, baby-proofing toilets and what your opinion? Good question. Yes, toilets are primarily you want to baby-proof toilets for the drowning hazard, and some right. people put um, chemicals in the toilets every time they flush. It sanitizes the toilet, so that's the other danger there. Um, the toilet that we strongly recommend putting a toilet lock on is the one in the baby's bathroom where the baby bathes so that every time the baby's coming in and out of the bathtub or even a toddler the toilet locks work up to about 18 months to two years um that they're not just lifting the lid and getting their hands in the toilet and stuff like that um the other bathrooms oftentimes we don't put toilet locks on but we have other options to keep them out of those rooms we have 
room, we have locks that can go onto doors mm-hmm. that aren't permanent. So when you want the door to be locked, you slide it on the side of the door and it actually keeps the door from opening up. And then when you don't want to use it anymore, you just slide it back off the door and you can hang it on the doorknob. And that way the baby can't get in and out. The nice thing about that specific style of lock is that it, once you have older children, so like when your two-year-old starts potty training, um, you can put the lock at a level where your three-year-old can reach it and get and unlock it and lock it and get in and out of the door. But maybe your nine-month-old or your 18-month-old can't reach it and get in and out of the door. Oh, okay. So that's a way around toilet locks. The philosophy of baby-proofing is really either you baby-proof the room or you keep the child out of the room. Mm-hmm. And a lot of families um, do the latter because it gets expensive to try to baby-proof your entire house. And there, are, frankly, are rooms that there are, you cannot baby-proof. You cannot baby-proof a home office. There's no way to do it. Yeah. There's too much stuff in a home office that you can't get rid of and still have it be a home office. Mm-hmm. Too many cords, paper clips, staples, things like that. Home gyms cannot be baby-proof. Mm-hmm. There's too many dangerous things in there. So if we can eliminate those rooms. And then a lot of homes that I do, you know, Carmel Valley area and San Diego area, some of the growing areas where there's family room, kitchen types of areas. Um, we do a lot of barriers for families so that you're not necessarily putting a gate at the bottom of your staircase. What we're doing is we're putting gates to gate the baby into areas like the family room area or the kitchen family room area. Then we baby proof that area, just like you said, as best we can. And then the rest of the house, like the formal living room, formal dining room, and where the staircase is, they're not allowed out there unless mom or dad are actually with them. So we actually try to go in and minimize the baby proofing by making baby safer areas and zones rather than trying to turn your entire house upside down because it's almost impossible to do that. Yeah, we just we just moved into a new house and we have what's called an open floor plan. You yes. mentioned the kitchen that goes into the family right. room, which is fabulous. I love it for entertaining. Sure. But in my last house, I could just you know put a little baby gate up so we couldn't go into the kitchen. And right. now I've you know I Can't there is no baby gate big enough. You know. Well, there actually is. Just so you know, they make baby <laughs> gates. Um, I mean, I can oh put gosh. a baby gate up as large as you need it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, they have them that are out there and they're designed to do that. Um, they get very expensive and uh-huh. they're not extremely attractive. But for those homes that do have very large openings, I mean, I've done 15 foot gates um, and they have doorways in them so that you can get through them and they are removable so that when you don't need them when you, or when you entertain, you can take them out. Oh, they're so removable. You they can do removable. a Because I thought if it was that big, you know, there's no way to support it properly. So therefore would have to, you know, go into the walls. It does go into the walls. It okay. mounts into the walls. But the mounting system, the way it mounts to the walls, you can unclip the gate from the mounting system and the whole gate other than the little mount that stays in the wall um, remains. Yeah. Hmm. So that actually brings up another quick thing that I wouldn't mind touching on are the baby gates because a lot of people, I was actually just talking with a customer before we came in about baby gates and she said, so you have to screw everything into the wall. I said, the biggest misconception that moms and dads have is that let's put up pressure gates because that way we're not going to ruin our walls. Mm -hmm. I've seen more homes ruin their walls with pressure gates than a properly mounted gate. Mm -hmm. So a properly mounted gate, but it still puts holes in the wall. Right. But the holes that you're talking about, if done properly, I personally put a hole in the wall as big as a tip of a pen. So it's no more than hanging a small picture then on the wall. Then how does that support the gate if it's so small? If it's screwed, if it, you're using the proper hardware and you're screwing it into a stud in the wall, it will support the gate and an adult. I mean, uh, I can stand on the gates in my home. What about the one out. that has, you know, a wall on one side and a banister on the other? Do you 
put it into the banister? We actually have clamping systems that clamp to your banister posts so that we don't have to put any holes at all in your banister. So a clamping system goes onto the banister post, and then we mount a molding to that clamping system, and then we mount all the gate hardware to that molding. So when you take it out, there's actually no intrusion at all into your banister posts. Yeah. Well, and to backtrack real quick, sure. how do we baby-proof for an infant? Well, again, infants are tough. I mean, when when once a baby starts crawling, you really want to get down on their level and, and look at life the way they see it. Um, you want to look at what they see under the under the couches, under the beds, under the tables, um, the electrical outlets, the little um, things that get that fall down there, the paper clips, or you know any small items. You want to kind of see the home from your baby's level and remove things that are small enough for them to get in their mouth and swallow and choke on. That's the biggest hazard at at that age. They're typically not don't have the motor skills to really open up cabinets or or get into things at at that age. Um, and then once they, their motor skills are more developed, then you have to start baby-proofing even further. I actually have a question um, because we have a, a large dog who mm. drinks a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of have this fear because I've heard of it before, you know, that like if you have any water in the dog yes. dish, a baby yes. can drown. But yeah. then I don't really know how to give my dog water. Well, that you can't is, get into the toilet because they have this latch right. on them. So. <laughs> that is one of the big challenges for a lot of the families that we work with. And really the only thing that we can recommend when we go into homes is to put the bowl. It's not just the water bowl. It's the food bowl, too, because a lot of dogs don't finish their food, and the food becomes a choking hazard. Um, so is to put the bowl the water bowls and the food bowls in an area that, that the child doesn't have access to. And that, again, is why we sometimes set up areas of the home to baby-proof rather than giving right. a baby an entire home to, to roam in. Well, thanks. Yeah. When we come back, we'll talk about ways to child-proof our crawlers as they turn into walkers. Plus, we'll get some tips on making your yard kid-friendly, too. We'll be back shortly. We're back with Robert Lockheimer talking about baby-proofing our homes. So... Um, Robert, we've just talked about infants and crawlers. What should we look for when it comes to our toddlers? And I actually have another question. We've been talking about proofing. When does it become teachable? When do you just say, no, don't touch the pots and the pans? I'm going to not child-proof this cabinet, but you're not allowed to touch it. So what about that? What do you think? Um, That works well at different ages with different children. Okay. And I think that actually that has more to do with um, how um, well the parents stay behind teaching their kids no. Because a lot of times, I mean, your your kids are constantly pushing, mm-hmm. even at an age of two, of how much they can get away with. So it, it becomes a lot of, at least in my experience, I have four boys, mm-hmm. and it's the constant it's the constant um, pushing your limits. So it depends on how strict you can be with the barriers that you set up and the, and I, I think, and then the whatever um, punishment or ramifications there are for not doing it. I think that baby proofing allows, what I've found is that baby proofing allows parents to have things that really are no's to become no's and the things that aren't that don't need to be no's on a daily basis or on an hourly basis to not be no's because everything becomes a no and then no means absolutely nothing. So if we can baby-proof things that we 
we can do for um, an affordable price and with not a lot of intrusion into the home and doing a lot of damage than the things like the oven or the stove knobs or the fireplace when you say no and you can make it mean no hmm. mean more than everything being a no and then it just becomes a word that means it's, nothing to them it's true we actually have we actually live with my parents my not my in-laws my husband's in-laws <laughs> and um, so it's a lot of space a lot of room mm-hmm. that's why we live there they're gone half the year and um they have all these spaces and the phone is at my son's level and from the very beginning my son would go over grab the phone my dad would yell at my son and I would get frustrated because it's not my son's fault for grabbing the phone it's at his level so he's thinking it's at his level he's going to play with it and exactly that exactly what you said I say no 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 well what does it mean when it really I really want to know so I can't blame him for getting into the things and that's where I have to step back as a parent being like no it's my fault for keeping it out. It's my right. fault for having it at his level that he can play with. Well, I know that there's a lot of parent groups that do like redirecting children's behavior. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like redirecting and it kind of can work the same with that too is where if they're going after something, you can re- try to redirect them and put their interest into something else. But if it continually becomes something of interest and it's something that is a hazard or something you don't want them to get into – as an adult, the easiest thing for you is just to remove that item. And then Mm -hmm. it it doesn't become an issue anymore because you have to ask yourself how much of a battle do you want that to become with your child every single time you're in that area with them. And you want your no to be no when you say it. You do. And it's hard enough for it to mean no anyway. What are the different type of devices used to baby proof? The most common things that we do when we go into people's homes are baby gates, cabinet latches, strapping furniture to the wall. Strapping um, furniture to the wall. How does that work? Um, well, actually, falls are the number one cause of injury in, in homes. Falls. So fa- falls include a child falling from something or something falling onto a child. Mm-hmm. So um, a, I don't even know how long it's been now, but uh, about nine months ago or so, um, a little three-and-a-half-year-old died in Cardiff because she pulled a television on top of her. I heard about so it, that. So it was a crush. That's a fall hazard. So, mm-hmm. so um, attaching the TVs. Attaching the TVs, um, you know, large, heavy television sets, dressers, furniture, bookshelves, armoires that are heavy that they but can climb like on couch. and pull over. No, not a couch. Okay. Um, so falls are the number one danger in the home. They're the number one cause of injury and obviously because of the weight of something is can can kill Plus a small the stuff child. in it. Right, and the stuff right. in it. So um, those are the most common things. Things that people don't think about that we do a lot of, once I point them out and they realize what it is, the little door stops that people have in their homes, mm-hmm. the little yeah. white tips on them, biggest mm-hmm. choking hazard in your house. My son, from the get-go, he was itty-bitty. Yeah, he was too. pulling those off everywhere. Yeah, we they'll went. pull those off and put oh, them in their mouth and they'll yeah. choke on them. So we swap those out. Um, swap them out for? A child-safe doorstop. They're just a solid white doorstop. You can actually pick them up at Home Depot, um, and you just swap them out so that there's no pieces or parts that can come off. Um, a lot of electrical safety is what we do for to, to try to prevent electrocution hazards. What do you recommend for, like, the outlet covers? Because mm-hmm. you know there are so many different kinds, like cover the whole outlet, yep. just the little plug inside. Yep. Or- the outlet covers are good. What you want to be careful of with the outlet covers is that a lot of plug-in devices nowadays come with the little transformers on the end. Our cell phone chargers, the baby monitors, the warmers, all that stuff has a little transformer on the end. If you have a transformer on the end, the covers won't work because the covers won't fit over the transformers. Mm-hmm. So the next best thing is is to put on a, a plate. You, you replace the actual uh, electrical outlet plate with a self-closing plate. 
so that if the baby unplugs it, they snap shut automatically. That way they can't plug it back in. The outlets that actually have something plugged into them are more dangerous than pl- than outlets that are open yeah. because you're already giving them something to put right back yeah. into that and outlet. And it's metal. And I've heard that babies can walk up to outlets that are open and it really does no harm. Right. Even they, can't they, get, have- they can't get anything in, but if they've got a metal... Uh, I mean, even their toy, you know, unless it's metal, that's where it causes that's correct. The damage. That's correct. So if you if you have something plugged in, you're giving them something that fits perfectly into the outlet. Right. So, and you have to be careful of the outlet plugs that we've used for decades and decades. The plugs that are solid that you stick in the outlets, um, they're actually a suffocation hazard because a lot of times parents will take those out to use the outlet and they leave it on the floor, they yep. leave it on the chair, and then oh, the yeah. babies come or the yeah. toddler comes and they take it and they stick it in their mouth. Then they can suffocate. Mm-hmm. So we actually don't recommend those for the areas that the child is going to be in the most. We do the self-closing outlet plates for those areas. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the house, like the like we were talking about, the formal living room, dining room, or places like that, um, if you want to do the plugs but you have to be with them in those areas, um, those are fine for those areas. But those are the primary things that we you know, do when we go into Baby Proof a Home. Okay, so I have a two-year-old and a three-month-old, and obviously my three-month is not crawling around <laughs> poking at holes or anything right now yet. Right. Um, but what do we do with our older children who have those older toys that they can play with? Um, but, you know, also we also want to keep that away from our younger children who it's not appropriate for. Absolutely. It's a great question. And most of the homes that I go into, I do recommend doing the removable door locking mechanisms because by the time your two-year-old um, – or, or your younger one is old enough to start getting into your older child's room, your older child's going to be able to undo the lock, this type of lock. So it's really keeping them out of those areas and setting up areas for your older children that they can play in with those toys like the Legos or the, you know, the dolls that, or the mm-hmm. clips and stuff that have the little objects and then have other areas where the older child can play with the, 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 with the younger child for age-appropriate toys so they can play together, but keeping the non-age-appropriate toys either in a separate room or in that older child's room so that you can keep them separated and not necessarily have to uh, baby-proof that older child's room because it's going to be nearly impossible So basically to do. containing the toys. Containing, yep. Keeping the baby out of that area. Is there anything we just need to contain our kid? Do you sell big bubbles we <laughs> could just put our kid in? That would make it a lot easier. I would, I'll say that for sure. I wish we could. Yeah. Yep. Now that we've baby-proofed the inside of our house, mm-hmm. what, how do we baby-proof the out? the backyard and make sure everybody's safe back there as well. Yeah, the outdoors is actually very difficult, if not impossible, to baby-proof. You have to be with your children when you're outside because anything out there can be a potential hazard. I mean, a stone can be picked up and put in their mouth and choked on or a piece of bark or a plant that they that may be a toxic plant for a child or even broad-leafed plants. If they would tear a piece of a, a leaf off of a plant and put it in their mouth and it blocks their esophagus, they can suffocate on that. Obviously, then you get into swimming pools and then you get into spiders and insects and even rattlesnakes in our backyards Uh, so i mean we live in an environment where those things actually exist so um outdoors we really just have to be on top of our kids um and make sure that they're not getting into those things because there's no way to prevent or get rid of all that unless you just flatten your backyard and put in you know um a fake lawn and then and then you're done because that would be almost the safest environment um if you do have swimming pools swimming pools need to be protected from the little ones drowning hazards are huge and the states that have the most swimming pools have the most uh, drowning incidents occur, like Arizona. We learned um, we learned a couple weeks ago that it's the second cause of death with kids under four. It is. It is a, se- a second cause of death, um, and there are different ways of protecting your pool against drowning or from a toddler getting into it. Um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. There are are um, safety barriers like netting. You can do covers. You can do. 
um, removable pool fences. And then there are different laws throughout California of what you need to have on your gates that go to your backyard. They have to be self-closing, self-locking gates. So that's your first barrier. And then your second barrier is like a another barrier in the pool in the backyard. Um, I, I personally do not recommend netting your pool as a safety barrier. Because netting the, is what? It's actually a net that covers your swimming pool um, so that you don't have access to the, the, the pool. Somebody can't fall in. The problem is, is that in order to utilize your swimming pool, you're removing your safety barrier. So now that your safety barrier is gone, now the pool's open. Um, the best way is to do a pool fence. And I don't personally do pool fencing, but I work with companies that do. And the nice thing about the pool fencing is, is that it adds another barrier between your home and the pool. It allows you to actually use your swimming pool um, when your barrier is still present. Um, and it's they're actually very easy to remove when you're done. So when your child's old enough that you don't need the barrier up anymore, you basically can just pull up the stakes or the from the holes they drill in your in your um your pool deck and you put plugs in them and you barely even see that they were there so that is the safest barrier and most states that have the biggest drowning hazards um they're required to do a pool fence that they you can't even do anything else because they're the safest method you mentioned fake grass, and I had, my husband and I are actually considering that. We moved into a house that basically had no backyard, and we were considering, well, do we plant grass? Do we have fake grass? And we had heard, because our neighbors have fake grass, that it can get super hot. Super hot. And so, therefore, it might not be a good option. Yes. Yeah. If you live in an area where you're getting a lot of sun and it is hot, obviously, the further you get into East County, it gets hotter because you're not as close to the coast. Um that is absolutely true. The turfs do get very, very hot. And a lot of people that were pulling their lawns out and putting in the turf to save money on watering um, are starting to learn that they're actually now spending more money on air conditioning because their front and backyards are hot. I mean, they get over 100 oh, wow. degrees. So if you step on it, especially an infant with bare feet they could or their hands, they could get burned because their skin is so delicate compared to ours. It, that's, that That is something to very much consider. If there are no trees and you don't have any shade to shade it, you're going to want to be careful of the temperature of, of the lawn before you Or you're you just watering it. your fake grass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to cool it cool down. down. There you go. I just don't want to um, mow it. <laughs> <laughs> So if we're too overwhelmed to try and do all of this ourselves, when we want to use a service, mm-hmm. how does that work? Um, there are a couple different services around. Um, they seem to come and go quite a bit. As I said, I've been in business for 15 years. We're not going anywhere. We actually have locations um, internationally and throughout the country. So we're continuing to grow. Um, a safety consultant can come out to your home. We do an evaluation. Uh, we walk through the entire home. We make recommendations and suggestions as to what we would do to help baby-proof the home. Um, we then put everything into a laptop, and you can actually see an itemized estimate of everything that we recommended to do. And then you, uh, the customer, can pick and choose to do as little or as much of that work as they would like to have done. And we typically do the work for our customers the same day that we're there. So we don't have to schedule another appointment right. and come out again. We actually carry all the materials in our truck with mm-hmm. us um, and can do the work for you that day. Okay. Robert, I'm so curious as to what your house looks like. I, I know you have a, a little one, and I, w- I want to go see how you baby-proof your house. Well, you right now my house consumer. is not baby-proof uh, <laughs> because about a year ago I took everything down because my youngest is five. Okay. So, But um, my wife is due again in February, okay. so we'll be baby-proofing again in about a year from <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so I can come over and then I can see Sure, you, you can see what we've done, okay. absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much to Robert Lockheimer for helping us learn how to keep our homes and babies safe. If you want more information on baby-safe homes, 
Homes, go to today's show on our episodes page on our website or visit babysafehomes.com. Also, put the number in for poison control in your phone, please. It's 1-800-876-4766. We want you to be safe in all areas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Parent Favors. My name's Anita, and I'm calling from San Diego, California, and I was listening to your episode about sunscreen, and I had a question for your expert. Um, I got into a classroom discussion with the preschool, um, some preschool administrators about sunscreen, and I understand that you should reapply after two hours. So I don't really see the value of delivering my child with sunscreen on when she will only be in the classroom for two hours, and then they go outside. Um, the teachers are putting sunblock on the kids, um, but they also say that we should have sunscreen on them before we deliver them to school. So is there any truth to that? Thank you so much. Hi, Anita. This is Dr. Piggott. I'm a pediatric dermatologist from Scripps Clinic. I think you have a great question, and, and it's an important one, and I get it all the time uh, in the office. So what I think is that even though your child may not be going outside at school for two hours, even the walk to the car, the drive to school in the car, and sitting in the classroom, there's still UV light that comes through the windows. It might be a little bit less than when they're outside in, in the full-blown sunlight, but the UV rays still come through the window and have the risk of damaging your your child's skin. For example, um, I have a lot of older patients as well, and, and a, a couple of them are actually employed as truck drivers, and they get more sunscreen on the left side of their body than on the right side of the body because they're in the driver's seat and they're getting all the UV rays through through the, the, the car glass. And for them, I even sometimes recommend tinting their windows. But anyway, so that's one of the main reasons to put on the cream, but even though the child is not physically outside. Um, as a recommendation for the teachers, um, I definitely recommend a sunscreen with SPF 30 or higher. That's the important thing. Whether you use a chemical blocker versus a physical blocker is, is up to you, but I really like the zinc oxide and titanium dioxide components. And then when the teachers are applying the sunscreen, a good rule of thumb is to use about a golf ball size amount for each application. And definitely do it head to toe and do the wide brim hat, you know, long sleeve protective clothing as well. That wraps up today's episode. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions for our expert about today's show or the topics we discussed, call our Parent Savers hotline at 619-866-4775 or send us an email through our website, parentsavers.com or the Facebook page, and we'll answer your question in an upcoming episode. Coming up next week, we're talking about technology, iPads, iPhones, and your toddler. Thanks for listening to Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care. 
and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.